Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Tuesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Le Ahedou 
My name is Bill Solomon.
Oh 
J.M. in the A.M. What a song, huh? Mordechai and David with Ba'ani. Before that, Nigun Achachma from Simcha Liner. Aram Rosenblum in Diaspora with Hine Yamim. Ani Mamim with Zvekis. Safam with the Sephardic medley. Michal Przanski's Kol Hamivakesh Derech Chadasha from Yonatan Sheinfeld. That's brand new. New York Boys with the Ahafta Baruch Levine's Rafua Shlema Rabbi Akiva. That was a classic from the Rabbi's Sons. Lipa's Yigdal and of course Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Tuesday on this August the tenth, the uh, second day of Elul, the year five seven eight one. Not for long. We're less than a month away from the brand new year. A five seven eight two. Our L chauffeur blowing coming up uh, later on, assuming I remember. <laughs> I've been very open about that. That often I don't remember, but hopefully I will remember this time around. Special request from Oak Park, California. Maloch from Yehuda Green will try to do that. And Tired CPA says, listening to JM and the AM at a pizza store in Beit Shemesh, the best of both worlds. Thank you, Eli Dwaretsky. Thank you very much. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Did we lose our connection to Israel? There we go. See if this lasts for a while. 72 degrees, 89% humidity, winds are southeast at 3 miles per hour. Afternoon scattered thunderstorms, a high of 85. Partly cloudy tonight with an isolated thunderstorm and a low of 75. Mostly sunny tomorrow, a high of 92 degrees. Is this Galitzal or not? I don't know. High tomorrow of 92 degrees. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 86 up in Guilford, New York. Our friends at Camp Misora. All right, we've got a problem with our computer here or with their computer there. Uh, sorry about that. No news from Israel today, but we'll uh, head into the uh, 7 o'clock hour. Uh, 86 in Yerushalayim, 67 up in Guilford, New York, where our friends at Camp Misora are getting set for a Tuesday. We're at 72 here. 
in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. How you doing, everybody? Hope fine and dandy on this Tuesday. We're in the middle of, or at the beginning of, I should say, our Elul Chesed campaign. You know, the drill. Uh, we're in the mode of trying to think what we could do something nice financially or otherwise for someone else during the month of Elul as we get closer to Rosh Hashanah and to Sukkot. A lot of needy people, both financially and otherwise, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. What can we do to help them out? That's what our Chesed campaign is all about. Those of you who want to support the Armeo Bracha Terror Victim Support Center, where Leora Teji and her family are distributing to hundreds of families every single Thursday, and of course, plenty more before Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, talking about Lots of food, and I mean lots of food, um, every single week, and certainly a lot before Yuntiv. Go to terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org.il. And by the way, yesterday, Leora sent to me a picture. Look at this. Um, this is a, a snapshot of the price list for Rosh Hashanah. She is spending over $2,500 on honey. She's spending $4,000 on challah, over $5,000 on wine, $50,000 on chicken, $1,500 on pomegranates, $2,500 on sugar, um, $1,500 on seltzer bottles. I mean, this is what it's going to cost in order to feed all the people that she has been committed to for all these years and all this time. Uh, so if you want to give anything, any figure like that or anything uh, at all, terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org. As I announced yesterday, this campaign is uh, going to have a special subcategory, a campaign specifically asking for people to keep in mind single parents and their children and the even more difficult struggle they have financially and otherwise, especially leading up to Yontif. Um, And we'll talk much more about that as we continue with our Chesed campaign in this month of Elul here at JM in the AM. More coming up as we kick off the 7 o'clock hour with Kobe Brummer at JM in the AM. Thank <laughs> you. 
J.M. and the A.M. Shragi Gestetner there with Oda Hashem. Uh, Yehuda Green opened up the uh, hour with Maloch from the um, Yamin Narayim High Holiday Liturgy here at J.M. and the A.M. And that was a request uh, from our app from Oak Park, California. Thanks so much for tuning in. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Uh, information about the uh, Or Mayor Ambracha Terror Victim Support Center that we are highlighting during our Elul campaign, uh, terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org.il. Also, keep in mind, tonight, and I, I don't know why I can't find the brochure. It's probably sitting here literally in front of me. Uh, but I have the information. Uh, tonight, Kupath Ezra, which is the organization in Rockland County that brought this whole category to my attention. Uh, single parents and their children that need to be taken care of, especially before Yontif. Uh, Kupath Ezra has their annual summer Asifa. They're going to be doing it in live stream format. We pre-recorded it. It's tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I have the privilege of hosting a really nice roundtable on the topic. Um, some great inspirational speeches, a brand new video. Uh, lots of stuff going on. KupathEzra.org, KupathEzra.org, 8 p.m. tonight for the actual presentation. And again, I am highly recommending them and so many others <laughs> that, frankly, uh, need to be highlighted uh, during this Chesed campaign in the month of El. There's a lot. There's a lot that has to be highlighted during this Chesed campaign. And if we'll get to everything, I think that's impossible, but we'll try to get to as much as possible. By the way, speaking of Chesed campaign, uh, many people like to give directly to somebody in great need. Many people like to give directly to somebody in great need. Uh, with that in mind, um, I want to call your attention to a GoFundMe campaign. There is a GoFundMe campaign that is dedicated specifically to a wonderful old friend of ours who is a single mother. Um, and um, the campaign has been revitalized. If you, if you look online, you'll see that uh, uh, this was a campaign that began before Pesach, but it's now been revitalized um, because it's uh, before Rosh Hashanah. Um, so you go to GoFundMe.com, GoFundMe.com, and search Sandy Raven, S-A-N-D-I, last name is R-A-V-E-N. If you want to give directly to somebody who is in desperate need of financial help and um, to whom it's direct, so that you know the money, every penny of it is going straight to uh, to her as a single mother. 
uh, then that's a an important update. That's an important GoFundMe link to become familiar with. And I thank everybody for helping take care of a old and dear friend. Um, Tuesday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. A Jew in the City is coming up at 8 o'clock. We'll have an opportunity to discuss with her some of the uh, portrayals that have been uh, that have been um, that have been what's the word presented? Thank you. Portrayals that have been presented publicly about uh, Orthodox Jews, including the uh, what was the name of that one from from the recent one? My unorthodox life. My unorthodox life. We'll speak to Jew in the City coming up. Also, um, a gentleman named uh, Aaron Lapel is um, spearheading a new project that is quite interesting, and we'll explain that coming up. He'll join us about 10 minutes from now. Uh, it's a new project that, that he feels, and I'm not at all doubting it, I just, I'm just i going to ask him for clarification, he feels will help a lot of people who want to maximize their tfilos for anybody, for one who's sick, for one who needs a shidduch, etc., etc. And we'll explain all that coming up about 10 minutes from now right here at JM in the AM. Anila Dodi, words about the month of Elul, Eitan Katz, JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Pretty good song, huh? Anila Dodi done by uh, Eitan Katz. Month of Elul, Anila Dodi Vododili. That's what we were thinking. Tuesday morning, J.M. in the A.M. By the way, big shout-out to Seth Levitt, CEO at Abels and Hyman. Seth Levitt, you get a big shout-out. All through the day yesterday, through your story on Instagram, I was following the Q&A that you did. Boy, oh boy, talk about an insider's view of what goes on in the A&H factory and warehouse and ref- and refrigerators and ovens. Uh, those of you who missed it, it was something. It was an Instagram Live Q&A with uh, Seth Levitt, who's the CEO of, uh, of uh, A&H, Abels and Hyman. And uh, it, it, it's fascinating. They talk about, you know, how hot dogs are made. <laughs> he literally taught us how hot dogs are made. <laughs> Uh, by giving us a a, a first-hand tour. Um, really, really cool. Anyways, so a big shout-out to Seth Levitt. When you go to kosherdogs.net, use promo code RADIO, and you'll be entitled to a 10% discount on all A&H products. And after seeing that video and how well the system uh, operates, uh, I have a feeling you're even more inclined to get some delicious A&H meats and also a look out for their brand new products. Yeah, at the end he was talking about some brand new products that'll soon be on the market. How cool is that? I would say very, very cool. Uh, I call your attention to our friends at uh, GaiaCoffee.com. G-A-I-A Coffee.com. You know the goal? The goal is that every morning you have a fresh brewed cup of coffee. That's the goal, especially if you're a coffee lover. You want a fresh brewed cup of coffee every single morning. How do you make it as simple as possible? How do you make the whole system as simple as possible? So our friends at Gaia Coffee, G-A-I-A Coffee, and you can go to the website, GaiaCoffee.com, or go to your store and pick it up. I've come up with a whole bunch of varieties of coffee bags. That's what they are. 
They are coffee bags where you literally toss one into a 10-ounce cup of boiling hot water. You let it sit for a couple of minutes, and you've got yourself an unbelievably tasting, delicious cup of Gaia coffee, and uh, you didn't have to roast up anything. You didn't have to prepare anything at all. Uh, Give it a shot. See if you agree with me and with everybody here at the Nahum Siegel Network that it's an amazing morning pick-me-up and a great way to have a delicious, fresh-brewed cup of coffee, uh, even when it's not, quote-unquote, fresh-brewed. Go to GaiaCoffee.com, G-A-I-A Coffee.com, and look for Gaia Coffee in your local kosher supermarkets. Tuesday morning broadcast, J.M. in the A.M., Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Arav Zevin of Alevi, Zechonishmas Esther Basar of Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizok. Good morning. We find a fascinating pasuk in Amos, Ki harim, for Hashem has formed the mountains, Uvore ruach, and has also created the winds, Umagid la'adam, masecho. He recounts to a person what were his deeds. The question has been asked, what is the kesher, the connection, between the beginning of the pasuk and the end of the pasuk? The Chida says in the name of Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz, Why did Hashem create the world with horim mugvoos, with mountains and hills? People have to climb the hills. They have to try to ascend the mountains. Hashem could have just created level ground that everybody could walk on without effort. He answers that there are strong winds that can uproot the trees and cause great destruction. These tall mountains stand and guard us from the stormy winds that could be destructive. So one could ask, wouldn't it be better if there were no winds? Then there wouldn't be a need for the harim, for the mountains, and everyone could be on level ground without having to climb the hills and the mountains. The answer is something that a person should remember every day of their life. The ruach is created from the hevel piv, from the mouth, from the breath of a person, as it says, The Targum Onkelos translates it, that Adam that an individual, when they speak, they show that there is a difference between a human and the animal life. That's what happens. It is a koach It is the power of speech. That is the spirit that is created when a person speaks. The perush is that all of the ruchos ba'olam, all of the different winds of the world are created through man's speech. And that's why Hashem had to give a koach gadol to the ruach so that man could understand that through speech a person can build binyanim or chas v'shalom destroy an entire country. That's the meaning of Yotza Harim Uvare Ruach. Instead of creating level ground, Umagid Adam Masecho, to let a person know the great power that we all have to use our Dibor, our power of speech, in the correct way. We have the choice, Chas V'Shalom to destroy or to build Olamos, to build worlds. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizuk. Have a nice day.
Our Elul show for blowing on this Tuesday morning, second day in the month of Elul. We blow the show for through Sunday, um, Erev Yantif, Monday, actual Erev Yantif, Monday, Labor Day, actual Erev Rosh Hashanah. We don't blow the show for, but the day before will be the last day. We blow show for every Sunday through Friday during the month of Elul up until Erev Yantif. Um, and uh, we began yesterday in our Elul show for blowing, as long as I remember, <laughs> will be part of our broadcast <laughs> each and every Morning. Today's the second of Elul. Today's also an important day because our friends in the Sephardic community began Slichos today. We wish them the best of luck getting up early and uh, in, in um, incorporating Slichos into their daily prayer between now and, uh, well, I guess we would say through Yom Kippur, right? We say Slichos through Yom Kippur, essentially. Um, so that's our friends in the Sephardic community. The Ashkenazi community will begin to say Slichos, I believe it's Sunday morning, the 29th. I think I'm right about that. So that's about uh, two and a half weeks from now. Today's also a significant day, the second of Elul, for another reason. One that I had to understand, so we're going to do this slowly so everybody in the audience can understand what's going on here. Um, there's something called Tehillim on Klaf. Tehillim on Klaf, which we didn't realize was a thing, so to speak, uh, until Aaron Lapel, uh, who's from the Five Towns and is quote-unquote a regular member of the Jewish community, brought it to our attention and spearheaded an amazing effort. Aaron, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Hi, how are you? Baruch Hashem. So here's the story. The story is that there is a uh, an Indian, if you will. There is a, uh, a directive that uh, Tehillim should be recited from an authentic handwritten scroll, a real cloth parchment, everybody, written by a sofer mumcha, written by a reliable scribe. This was the practice in biblical times during the days of David HaMelech. All Tehillim, starting today on the 10th of August, the 2nd of Elul, all Tehillim will be read from a cloth led by Tamidei Chachamim, Gestrabanim, Admorim, Rosh Kolels, Rosh Yeshiva, and Dayanim, all can join in person or through the live stream. All Cholim around the world can take part in saying Tehillim, connecting with live Tehillim every Sunday through Thursday at the same time. In order to do all this and be part of it, and again, we'll explain how all this started in a minute, but in order to be part of this, you want to go to this website, Tehillim. There are two L's in Tehillim. Tehillim on Klaf, K-L-A-F, Tefila, T-E-F-I-L-A-H.org. Tehillim onclothtefillah.org. Aaron Lapel, could you tell us about the beginning of this project and how we got to this point where a cloth, a parchment with the entire Tehillim on it is available in our area? Yeah, this, the stipler guy in, in the 1970s instructed his son, Rabbi Chaim Kalineski, to write a Tehillim on cloth. And the stipler himself attended then the Hnasa Sefer Tehillim. And the stipler writes in the Sefer, reading from a cloth, Written by a Sosamunka, the the right by saying it in the class, it's accepted on a higher level than just reading from a regular printed printed class. And this cloth has already been been um, uh, commemorated, right? It's already been. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's right. L- last night we had the Echnasus Sefer Tehillim. Last night we had many prominent Amorim uh, Rabbanim uh, writing letters in it. Uh, there was live music. As well, prior to that, in the last two to three weeks, there were many Rabbanim from the Troy State area, members of the Molot of America, that took part in it. Rabbi Shmuel Kamnetsky, Rabbi Yosef Frankel, Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, the Satma Rebbe, and Rabbanim in the Five Towns area, Tinek. And uh, there's 
Rabbanim throughout Israel that have taken part in the Tillam on Cloud project that went to Hadassah Hospital, and there's many Rabbanim that were involved with that as well. That was two years ago. Wow. Where is the home of the Cloud? It's at 1254 51st Street in Brooklyn. It's going to be available for the general public to come and use it on a daily basis. It's also about a five-minute walk from Amani's Hospital, which is one of the reasons why it was placed over there, so family members could come and use it that are at the hospital. And a major thing that's going to be taking place with this, there will be a live Tehillim, a global Tehillim reading where people can join through live stream from around the world every Sunday through Thursday. Today it's going to be starting. We're going to read 10 parochium, 10 chapters of Tehillim. We're going to start from the beginning, and every three weeks we're going to complete the entire Tehillim. People can submit names for Tefillah as well through the website, and people can join along, whether it's Cholim and hospitals, which we would like to connect or home around the world to the Tehillim, whether they can say the words, whether they'll just be listening to the words with the help of their families, and then generally for Kleistral and countries around the world to join together at the same exact time and where the Tehillim is being led from a cloth. And if people want to come, if they're in the area, they like to come there at 1 o'clock and be part of it in person, they can come as well. Um, I, I mean, there's 150 chapters to Tehillim, so I'm assuming that this looks sort of like a small Sefer Torah? Would that be an accurate way of... Yeah, correct, correct. And, uh, and it's rare. There are not... The, I, I, at least that's what I've been led to believe. There are not that many to full Tehillim on a cloth uh, in existence, correct? Right, yeah, right. There, there, are th- there are three of them. There's one at the Letterman Show, which was done by the Stipend, Rechaim Kinetsky. There's one at the Kotel, and there's one at the Hadassah and Karim Hospital, there it is placed outside the operating rooms for people to use. And then now this will be the first one in the United States. So this is literally the fourth in the world, my gosh. Aaron LaPelle is with us live via telephone. Tehillim on org. Tehillim on org. To be alive to Tehillim every Sunday through Thursday. Today is the first day. Bet Elul is the first day that Tehillim on Klaftfila will be live with a live stream starting today at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, I suggest you get to the website, Tehillim on org. You can submit your tefillah. You can uh, join their email list. You can follow their live streams. You can submit a name, certainly. Uh, and you can uh, take part in this by being part of the live stream. And uh, as uh, Aaron LaPel said, if you go to 1254 51st Street in Borough Park, Brooklyn, 1254 51st Street in Borough Park, Brooklyn, you can actually... A read the Tehillim from the Cloth yourself or join the Minion or join the live stream that happens at 1 p.m. each day. Uh, what are the practicalities of that? I mean, the shul's not going to be open 24 hours a day, will it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not 24 hours a day, but throughout the, throughout the day till probably at 9 or 10 o'clock at night it will be opened, and it's going to be in a, in a case with a glass top. It's attached to a wall where you would scroll it. Like you're scrolling a safer tour and you'll be rolling it that way. Okay. And just informational purposes only, not making any type of judgment, but are women uh, 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 invited to participate in the live feel age day? Is the shul set up for that or is this a men only event? Yeah, a woman could come, yes. A woman can come, yes. All right, because we know that there are a lot of women in our community who are extremely dedicated to the saying of Tehillim. I would imagine, and, and this is not to put down the men, there are many men as well, but I would imagine because we have people of all backgrounds 
uh, and both men and women who are so dedicated to Tehillim. It's amazing. I'm sure you you have seen this through your project, Aaron. It's incredible how much what what uh, what King David did for us in terms of and, and others in terms of the authorship of Tehillim. It's amazing how it has helped so many people connect to the one above uh, over all these sure. centuries, and specifically today. Tehillim is like. It's one of the most meaningful things that people do when it comes to connecting to the one above. So, Correct. So and now with, you know, reading from a cloth, you know, the Kedusha of a cloth, as Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky, when I met with him, said, I mean, it, it, a cloth is a different kind of Tehillim. It's the Kedusha of, like, Tehillim has, like Mezizah has, like a Sefer Torah has. It's a, it's a different type of Tehillim on a higher level of Kedusha. Amazing. And again, if someone joins in today at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, if they do so for 15 consecutive Sunday through Thursdays, they will have been part of the entire recitation of Tehillim from a cloth, correct? Yes. Information about all of this. And, and folks, it took me a couple of minutes to understand the significance of the Tehillim on a cloth. So go to the website, look at the video, see the information, and get ready for 1 o'clock today and 1 o'clock every Sunday through Thursday. Uh, for Tehillim on a Cloth. The website is Tehillim, and the word Tehillim has two L's in it. Tehillim on Cloth, Tefillah.org. Tehillim on Cloth, Tefillah.org. And Aaron LaPel is the one who has spearheaded uh, this entire project. And I heard you had some help from our good friend Avrami Weiss as well. Yeah, yes, his his involved with the show, right? With the, we're, 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 yeah, with, with the, the show where it's at, right? The synagogue where it's going to be uh, permanently. Please God. So anybody who walks into Weiss's Bakery on Thirteenth Avenue, say hi to Avrami and thank him for his role in this as well. Uh, the synagogue is located at twelve fifty four Fifty First Street in Borough Park, Brooklyn. And again, with the guidelines that we just mentioned, uh, you are all invited to come and be part of it live and in person, and you're all invited to be part of it online, tehillimonclothtefillah.org, an amazing project to be introduced in Chodesh Elul. Aaron, I would assume that you had Rosh Chodesh Elul in mind when you were th- thinking of the deadline for this project. Correct. So that, way, that way we can start, you know, the, the live tehillim and yeah. for, the entire, for the month of Elul was the idea of that. Amazing. Uh, to you. A pleasure meeting you through this venue. I hope to meet you in person one day, and thank you for what you've done for so many already, uh, reconnecting us and connecting so many to uh, uh, to the one above through Tehillim. And I, I, I just have a feeling this is going to be a uh, very successful project. Thank you so much, Aaron, uh, and a good yard to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Tehillim on cloughtefila.org. Tehillim on cloughtefila.org. Tuesday morning broadcast. You're listening to JM in the AM. Oh, boy, oh, boy, we've introduced a lot of initiatives, haven't we? (laughs) A lot of things that people need to keep in mind during this month of Elul, especially as it relates uh, 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 man-to-man. But this one is an unbelievable uh, man-to-God, and in some ways man-to-man concept. Um, The number of people that have increased their dedication to the um, saying of Tehillim each day is simply remarkable. This gives us another unique opportunity to do it in a unique fashion. A uh, big thank you to Aaron LaPel here at JM in the AM. A quarter before 8 o'clock, Shalshelis Jr. at JM in the AM. Get up.
Thank <laughs> you. 
Tuesday morning, JM in the AM. That's the uh, selection from Nisanel Yisrael, Yaakov Shweki's Vishalchanti. You heard Thankful done by Shalshelis Jr. Ready to wrap up hour number two here at JM in the AM. It's summer, and there's something about the season and the warm weather that gives us hope. Just as we thought we're getting back to our lives once again, we begin to hear about the rise of the COVID Delta variant. Many of us are feeling the stressful effects of dealing with the pandemic. Some feeling stressed or anxious as we try to figure out how to move forward. OHEL Children's Home and Family Services for many years has been helping children in our community with sensitivity and with expertise. Their specialty is working with issues of anxiety and building resilience. If you need help, I encourage you to contact OHEL, 1-800-603-OHEL. 1-800-603-OHEL. Check it out and uh, take advantage of OHEL's services. Uh, tonight is the uh, live stream for Kupath Ezra. They are the organization that has brought to our attention the plight of single parents and their children, especially around Yuntif time. Uh, if you want to see the um, the live stream, the quote-unquote live stream, since we already recorded it, a lot of good stuff in it. It's tonight at 8 p.m., kupathezra.org, kupathezra.org, that great organization up in Muncie. Uh, so you can check that out. Again, kupathezra.org. Young Israel of Woodmere uh, Summer Learning Program presents Dr. Moshe Sokol tonight. Dr. Moshe Sokol tonight uh, at 8.15 p.m. in the Leon Mayer Base Medrash. Dr. Moshe Sokol, the dean of Turo's Lander College for Men, in conversation with Rabbi Shai Schachter, they will discuss the book The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave. That's Rabbi Sokol's book. The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave, tonight, August the 10th, 8.15 p.m. in the Leon Mayer Base Medrash. Dr. Sokol has unearthed universal and timeless messages from Agadic stories that will resonate with anyone. Uh, it's called The Snake at the Mouth of the Cave. Uh, in conversation with Rabbi Shai Shachter, the Dean of Turo's Lander College for Men, Dr. Moshe Sokol, tonight in the Leon Mayer Base Medrash, the Young Israel of Woodmere, beginning at 8.15 p.m. Check it out. It is more than worthwhile going. He's an unbelievable speaker and a uh, just a, a wonderful presenter, and the book is incredible. I did tell Rabbi Sokol when he was on recently for Turo, I said to him, we got to do a an interview about the book before the end of the year, and uh, hopefully we'll get to it. Hopefully we'll get to it. AJA Carpool number 204, preschool starts today. The older kids later this week. Great to be back to great Jewish music. For our carpool ride, thank you, listener Daniel. Uh, listener Kala0036 says, good morning, enjoying the selection of music. Appreciate that very much. And listener Tikva and listener Hadas Amuna are tuned in from Israel, and we thank them. It is America's one and only Jewish 
moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world the web and alchemistical.com and the alchemistical network and of course in the beloved nsn app
J.M. in the A.M. Some listeners were advocating uh, yesterday for certain songs we played every single day during El. <laughs> we actually had a couple of good suggestions on that. Uh, this one might be up there. No Delacha, Eli Schwebel, Tuesday morning, J.M. in the A.M. Um, Allison Josephs, Jew in the City, is with us live via telephone. Uh, she's, of course, uh, a member of the Nahum Siegel Network with amazing interviews every single Thursday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time for us on the network for many, many years, and we thank her for that. Uh, but she has had uh, incredible influence in the area of um, presenting Orthodox Judaism in a proper and sensible fashion. She's done a million other things as well. We'll talk about some of the organizations and branches that she has started and continues to operate. Uh, but the reason I start with this whole topic on the representing um, uh, reality when it comes to Orthodox Judaism is because since the um, series came out, My Unorthodox Life, a Netflix series, which it seems in the Jewish community either people were like me and they completely ignored it, or they were like some of my family members and they watched the entire thing three times the night it came out. <laughs> it seems like nobody was in between. They were either addicted to it or had no interest in it. Uh, and I, I spoke on the air about you know not not spending any time on it, which I'm not a criticism of those who did, frankly. Um, it just didn't strike my fancy, the whole concept. Uh, but since it came out, I don't know how many hundreds of, of contacts I have had with people through email, WhatsApp, in person, etc., who have asked me to get Jew in the City, Allison Josephs on the air to discuss the series and this very topic. And now we finally have that opportunity. Allison Josephs, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Glad that the fans want me here because I also <laughs> want to come on. So it's a good shit I appreciate that. Yeah, they want to hear, hear me ask the questions. They certainly want to hear your answers. I can tell you that much. Um, uh, by the way, this whole this whole uh, category uh, is only going to get bigger and bigger. It seems every time I turn around, there's another trailer for yet another series or show or short film or documentary about the Orthodox community or a story involving the Orthodox community. So whatever experience you've just had in the aftermath of my unorthodox life, it looks like it's just going to be, you know, an even greater and greater experience coming up. So first of all, this is actually the third time we've had such an experience because after one of us came out, um, I wrote about that. Uh, that was a reality show or like a documentary on Netflix following three ex-Hasidic people. Right. Um, our sign-ups went through the roof. I wrote an article um, that had a ton of views. When the pandemic started, working on nonprofit, I thought, well, probably my organization is going to end now because we'll put all efforts toward not dying from coronavirus. And then two weeks into the pandemic, my unorthodox life, sorry, unorthodox, the original, because right. there's so many now, unorthodox, right. the original, came out, um, and we got more traffic in the two months that that came out than we got in all of 2019. Also, we got double the signups after that for the entire year. So the truth is that because of those two previous experiences, we knew my unorthodox life was actually going to be a big deal, and we, I prepared by writing an op-ed and, you know, getting different material ready. I got... Um, a, a, a media copy of the show to, to watch before it drops. So we knew that it was the Olympics and the rest of the world. Um, a couple of weeks ago was the Olympics of Jew in the city. Right. What was, was this very different than the other two you mentioned? And I don't just mean in terms of content and in terms of storyline, but in terms of reaction and people's uh, uh, displeasure 
with it? Was it was it very similar to the other two, or this was way different? Well, I think number one, um, there was a big issue that people took with this woman, Julia Hart, presenting her life um, as reality because she really co-opted a much more insular and right-wing life that she never actually had lived and called it her own. So I think just sort of the outrage about, um, you know, sort of telling a story that wasn't even true got a lot of people riled up. And all the people that know her in real life, um, you know, were very upset about that. Also, she made these blanket statements that the yeshivish, Heimish community are fundamentalists. And this is very dangerous to talk in such sort of inciting and general terms. Are there fundamentalists within those communities? Of course there are. There's fundamentalists probably within any right-wing community, um, but to lump the entire community and sort of uh, lump them and, and stamp them in such a negative light um, is really so dangerous in yeah. the face of rising anti-Semitism. Yeah. I would say with unorthodox, that wasn't claiming to be someone's exact life. It was sort of based on a true story, right. and so they took license for that. For, um, you know, the... the um, my unorthodox life. Yeah, no, no. For for the one before that, ah, right. um, for one of us, I will have to say one of us, and not this is us, because I would right. get that confused. For one of us, <laughs> um, it <laughs> that one also. Um, I know. I think that they did try to present a little bit more of a, a broader story, and there was also just so much sadness in in the stories of uh, these three individuals they followed. Um, I think for this. Because the nature of reality TV is meant to kind of like rile people up and they kind of made, um, you know, the Orthodox Jewish community as the enemy. Right. Um, it just felt, it really felt like backstabbing. Did the series, and, and again, I didn't see it, and I'm not apologizing for that because, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, I these things are introduced and I start getting obsessed with it. And I, and I, I too, is somebody, you know, who'll, who'll finish the whole series in a night and sometimes it just, you know, passes me by. But in this series, is there any portrayal of the beauty of Orthodox life? Is there any positive takeaway that any observer would have about our community? So here's the thing. Her ex-husband, who she you know describes as part of this crazy and extreme and anti-women community, comes off as such a mensch, um, and from what I've heard, he is a mensch. Um, her youngest son, who stays religious, um, First of all, she paints him also as some guy from Maya Sharim. He goes to a modern Orthodox high school. Um, he also comes off as compassionate and loving to his mother and also just sort of coolly confident about who he is as a Jew. So those are some nice moments um, kind of within the show. Despite that, we've been tracking online comments because that's the kind of thing that we do. Right. And the feedback that you'll see from viewers are things like, She's crying to him that he shouldn't stop talking to girls. I think he picked this up at a modern Orthodox sleepaway. Again, he did not go to uh, a camp uh, in, uh, you know, a Hasidic camp. Right. I think he picked this up at a modern Orthodox camp to not talk to girls. And she's crying these big tears that he shouldn't become an extremist. And he's kind of sitting there on camera, very uncomfortable because there's a camera in his face. His mother's being very emotional. And you see online commenters saying things like, look at that creepy smile. He's been raised in his community to hate women and see them as second-class citizens, like kind of what a misogynist he is. So the thing is that although he comes off, uh, you know, sort of having conviction and being kind to his mother, because you hear so much of uh, Julia and one of her daughters especially talking about how the community was so awful to women and did such horrible things to them, um, and she said, well, the younger daughter, Miriam, said she'd never played sports before. Meanwhile, I saw that she was, um, you know, a Jewish link hero of the week, a sports hero of the week. 
So, I mean, just the, the, the lies that they told and the, the tales that they spun, it just takes away the credibility. So yeah. what I will tell you is that I believe there is a kernel of truth to this story in that she was a woman that struggled. She did not feel like she had a voice. She did not feel like she had a choice. She did not feel like she was unconditionally loved. We see all of those patterns at Makom, at our branch that right. deals with the ex, you know, Hasidic and ex Haredi population. Um, but it's not Judaism that does it. It's it's interpersonal relationships. It even can come from loving and hardworking parents. But there are subtle ways that a message may not be given over. And so I believe that there is that kernel of human struggle. But she blames it on. Judaism and the Orthodox community, and it's really outrageous. Allison Josephs is with us. By the way, uh, we should mention that in addition to um, your own site, obviously, and uh, uh, being outspoken um, regarding the comments, etc., uh, TMZ has interviewed you about this, and that that, that has, gets a lot of traction, obviously, in this country and the world. Um, you represented us really well there, and you've written op-eds, as you mentioned on this topic as well. So we are we are glad and we are lucky that we have you out there and others, but you uh, primarily who are uh, really tackling this issue in a respectful manner. Uh, and we appreciate that very, very much. Uh, Allison Josephs, Jew in the City, is with us. Um, so do you sometimes try to, do you even spend any time, because I do spend time on this, you may not have the time to spend on this because you're busy deflecting comments online all day. Do, do you sometimes wonder about the philosophy or the psychology behind all this? Do, do you think that some people are simply you know, happy people and others are very sad and hateful people, and no matter what the situation they'd be in, even if they were a part of a different religion than ours, they would simply resent the existence or the authority that's in, in whatever other religion or system they're in? So um, I actually do have to spend a lot of time thinking about this because, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> the, here's the thing. We, we've recently reorganized the organization, so I just want to give a quick overview sure. so my language makes sense. Um, the part of our organization that's the media arm that's essentially dealing with the reputational damage of these continuously bad stories and just sort of all the ideas that permeate society like I grew up with as a secular but proud Jew, we've named that branch Keter to symbolize that we're restoring the Keter Shem Tov of the firm community and Orthodox Judaism. And that includes our original content, our pushback in media, media consulting, our all-star awards, our Meet a Jew in the City Make a Friend pop-up, all that falls under Keter. Our second branch, Makom, and we've dropped the project of that now, we're just calling it Makom, that is the space that we're dealing with the Julia Hearts. So it's not just the media blowback, it's also the people themselves. And right. what does that look like to rehabilitate people? So I very much have to uh, understand what the psychology is. Right. And this is what we've discovered over the last five years working with this population. And we have 250 members of Makom now. At first, it was pretty clear that we had nearly all um, trauma survivors within Makom. Um, that was sort of something that we saw pretty early on, a high number of child sex abuse victims and, of course, other t forms of trauma. What I've gotten into in the last several months that I think is really the unifying theory, again, from everything that we've seen and people that are not in Makom will tell me their story is different. And I, of course, have to say I've never heard every story or met every person, so everybody gets to tell their own story. What we've seen as a big trend amongst hundreds of members is that there's this idea, something called childhood emotional neglect, which ends up causing lack of secure attachment. Now, I consider myself to be a pretty knowledgeable person and, you know, understanding um, pretty well-known psychology terms, and I was really not familiar with this. When I thought of neglect, I would think of the child that wasn't fed, that wasn't clothed, that, you know, uh, wasn't taken care of. Childhood emotional neglect 
um, is a lack of things that are said or a lack of feelings that are given over. And it's very subtle. And again, it can come from loving parents. It can come from parents that are hardworking and trying their best. It often comes from parents who have these holes in their own upbringing and didn't realize they had the holes and then end up doing it to their children. Um, it affects According to a psychologist of a book that I wrote, The Emotionally Absent Mother, um, by Jasmine Lee Corey, and this has sort of like become our second Bible at Mahakom, um, <laughs> she talks about the fact that this study was done, and childhood emotional neglect or lack of figure attachment affects 38% of the U.S. population. So this is a large percentage of people that have this. And what she essentially explained is that when you don't feel securely attached somewhere, um, you never exactly feel a part of things, and you spend your life being adrift. So if there hasn't been any major trauma, you may just kind of walk around feeling a little bit empty inside or never quite like feeling like you belong to your own family. You never can quite like exhale in your own space. And, and, that, has, and, that, has, like, and that has nothing to do with, with the Hasidic community, has, with the Hasidic, with the Hasidic with community or, or Judaism, right? Correct. These are these are human interactions, and so what? So the opposite. So what does it what does it mean to not feel comfortable in your own space? To be able to exhale, to be able to be yourself, to be able to feel like you can be unconditionally loved without expectations of having to have a certain career if you're secular, or having to do a certain mitzvah if you're religious. So um, these things can come around when a child tries to express a certain idea and they get shot down either with a negative comment or uncomfortable laughter. Um, if the parents are especially sort of guarded about themselves and who they are as people, the child may learn to mirror that and do that back. Um, the way that this is dealt with essentially is inner child work, which we've been talking about a lot at MACO. We're not a mental health organization, but we do have an ongoing class to sort of familiarize our members with this concept. Essentially what is missing from people um, when they lack these uh, good mother messages from their mother or their caretaker, because there could be another caretaker, they're not hearing things in their head like, I see you. I hear right. you. I love being with you. Right. You can rest in me. I delight in you. So if, so there's a list within this book of Jasmine Lee Corey um, where you can read through this list and see if any of these good mother messages make you feel um, emotional. It's probably because you didn't get them, and you're probably not giving them to your children. And I actually want to do a lot of work um, educating our community about this. I mean, really so what, educating the world about this because so it's I, really I, important. I got to slow you down yeah. for a second because yeah. Macomb is again something that that is now very familiar to me in this audience. Ket there is quite yeah. evident because it fits right in as you describe it. But but you didn't give us exactly what Tikkun then is. Tikkun. So then the third branch, Tikkun came out of Macomb, and we tried to make the the name pretty like self evident. But essentially, hearing the Macomb members talk about the issues that they had faced. Well, first of all, ah, so it's fixing issues up. in our community. That's what it is, fixing yeah, issues in our exactly. community. Yeah, exactly. Basically, a new sign-up would come in every couple of days, and when Netflix puts out a new film, right. we sometimes get several in a day, right. reading these heartbreaking narratives of what was lacking, what happened in the school, what happened you know, in the home. Um, first of all, to not go crazy, I felt like I had to just like start writing things down to at least be able to keep a list of like what are we facing, what problems are coming to us, and as more and more cases came in, I saw that there are patterns here. And I think, um, well, there's two things. Number one, either saying a few bad apples may be understating it and not fair to their pain, right. or a diff different way of stating it may be to say there are a few bad apples, but some of those apples have leadership positions between schools and rabbinics. And even though it's just a few bad apples right. um, with powers of position, they could end but, up hurting people. But one, so, but one second, yeah. But with, but with the, but I don't. What do we, what do we call the people you deal with? Clients? I mean, what? How do we? 
How, how do we, we call them MACO members? Yeah, okay. MACO members. So your members would agree with that or not? In other words, would members yeah. generally, and I know that, that you know there are exceptions to everything, but generally speaking, would the majority of them say to you that, that if not for this one or two, one person or two people, you know, my life would have been very different? It would not have been yeah. as, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am right now if not for these bad apples? So, yeah, so what I'll tell you is that, um, number one, people don't always recognize the trauma that they went through. Number two, people are not always willing to admit it. So I, um, I generally trust people, like, when they tell me at face value what they experience. And what I've learned over time is that people either aren't aware of themselves or um, what they went through is so painful, they have to uh, sort of take pains to kind of protect it and not let it be known. But as we started talking about these good mother messages and childhood emotional neglect, we have a chat that probably has a WhatsApp group over 150 people. The members that have come forward, first of all, a whole bunch of them have, um, you know, parents with narcissistic personality disorder um, and, you know, um, what, what's the other one, borderline personality disorder. So when I started seeing members talk about the number of parents that have personality disorders, that actually kind of like shocked me. That wasn't even molestation or, you know, uh, physical or abuse or that sort of thing. That was just the number of parents that have, um, the number of members with parents' personality disorders is a really high number. Again, it's not because this is the Hasidic community. It's because this is the type of people that are being pushed out. But when this topic of childhood emotional neglect and good mother messages came out to the group, the number of people that started to say it resonated with them, the number of people started to get this book and say, like, it was so painful they had to throw it against the but, wall because but, it told their story but, but in the they, book. But they have... Um, but, I, 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 yeah. No, I, I apologize for interrupting, but they. Had, no this is why our conversations in person are a million times better. Although this one, frankly, is great. Uh, yeah. But but if, if that's the case, I, I have to assume that a good percentage of them, you know, you know, understand that logically speaking or objectively speaking, it's hard to lay the blame at those 100%. parents. Right. Some of them just well, don't. They don't have the skills to be able to. You know, nobody gets a parenting license, and and it's uh-huh. you know, and, and many parents would say, "Oh my gosh!" You know, the famous thing: a parent will always say, "Oh, I made all my mistakes on my first kid." There are parents who make mistakes on all their kids. <laughs> well, so first of all, the Hasidic community is nearly one hundred percent survivors and descendants of survivors. Right. So that's the first thing that we have to keep in mind. If the general population has thirty eight percent of people lack secure attachment, and by the way, in the general population. You see now, we see now people that are running from their identities. They're doing all sorts of ways of kind of um, uh, rebelling and, and doing sort of outlandish things that sort of uh, deny where they come from. I believe that all of that fits into lack of secure attachment. If you don't feel like you come from where you belong right. from, right. and so you want to be different in some way. But yes, if you take a population that literally went through crazy trauma, right. had this PTSD, no way to process it, right. you better believe that now there's going to be generations of people that have their emotions all bottled up, don't know how to express it to their children, right. don't teach their children how to emotionally regulate. So yes, yeah, so so, this is a problem in larger society. Right. So, if, so if you, I, right. So if you were giving this seminar, you know, which by the way, it sounds like you're on the road to starting to give seminars on this topic. But if you were, yeah, if you, if you, were, yeah. if you were giving a seminar, you know, with with you know, and a mixed crowd, Jews, non-Jews, professionals from around the country, they may turn to you and say, "Wait a second, Allison. Then why don't you have more members from the more liberal part?" of the Jewish community or more the liberal part of the Jewish Orthodox community. And that would be your answer, meaning the percentages, the trauma, the, the, the more extreme special circumstances in the Hasidic community. How would you address it? Yeah. So what I would say is that, um, Malcolm started because a couple of ex Hasidim came to us and asked for help. Right. Um, I would say what the thing that makes Malcolm specific as opposed to any other type of trauma or lack of, um, secure attachment of any other human being is that, 
they didn't just grow up in families missing this, where we would find in other communities. The schooling that they went to taught a very extreme and negative and shameful and fearful Judaism. So it, we actually have a job that's twofold with them, um, making them aware of the pain that they went through and helping them understand that that's not Judaism, and then actually re-educating them on what Orthodox Judaism is. If somebody grew up modern Orthodox, likely they went to a reasonable school and heard positive messages about Hashem and Mitzvot. The home may have been abusive. That's probably, uh, you know, uh, is connected to why they left. They don't want to be like where they came from, but they grew up with a positive Judaism within their schools. Um, for Mako members, it's twofold. It's the uh, extreme interpretation of Judaism, which, again, is not all Hasidic, it's not all right. Yeshivish, it's not all Chabad. It's the schools they went to, the teachers they came across. They gave them these more negative messages. Um, and then it's uh, the home life as well. And on top of all that, this is the stuff that makes the news. This is the stuff right. that, um, you know, sure. and this is really our, our original mission was to reverse negative associations right. around Orthodox Jews. Right. And when they've learned such negative ideas about Orthodoxy, this really gets to the heart of why we were yeah. founded. Jews make news, especially when it's stories that are extreme or, you know, of fascination to the general audience, that's for sure. Allison Joseph is with us, Jew in the City. Uh, listen, I, I, you know, I, 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 first of all, great appreciation to you in general, and um, uh, the fact that people associate uh, you with us is always a big blessing for us. But uh, the least we could do is just remind people, and I'll do it. You don't have to do it. Is to remind people that one of the hardest things to do is to fundraise for a project. It's really easy to fundraise for a building, relatively speaking, and it's easy to fundraise for something that um, you know has a special designation or a specific event, much much easier. When you're when you're trying to fundraise for all these general um, uh, pursuits uh, that a great organization like Jew in the City is pursuing through Makom and Keter and Tikkun uh, in order to be out there and do what's right and represent us well, it's very very difficult to do. So, Alice, I would assume on the Jew in the City website there are uh, there are at least one, if not multiple, opportunities for people to support your work. There is. There's a donate button up in the top right. We have a pop-up that's coming up now. Actually, August is Changemaker Month, and what we're asking everybody that's following and is a fan, put your money where your mouth is, and everyone has a different means, but we're asking whatever you could give on a monthly level, if it's a dollar, if it's $50, that will help us continue. You know, we have an ad coming out today that says you give seventeen ninety nine a month to this place, Netflix, to support content <laughs> that you know right. defames our community. Right. Could you give that much to an organization that is telling a different story? I just want to say a couple more things in terms of like big projects we have upcoming. For Ketcher, we recently discovered that the Muslim community has something called the Hollywood Bureau of Muslim Pack. They have relationships with literally every major studio and network. They get paid to create likable and three-dimensional Muslim characters. So we've been told for years, you can't do that. Hollywood is all Jewish. But we decided, no, we're going to. We're going to say that Jews are being beaten on the street. Wow. We insist on the treatment of any other endangered minority. And if the Hollywood execs want to represent their Hebrew school high holiday life, and they say that that's the character they know, that's fine. But if they're touching our community, they must go to an insider. So we're putting together a board of celebrities and Hollywood insiders to God willing um, establish JITC's Hollywood Bureau to make meetings with these big networks. So that's one thing on one end. Just make sure just, side, make, yeah. just make sure you're not too pro-Israel. That'll kill the whole project. <laughs> exactly, right? We can't talk about that, that we're Israel-loving Jews. Makom continues to grow. And on Tikkun, on that side, we've, thank God we've had some exciting successes there, which you can read about on Jew in the City. But our newest project is a school project. I discovered in the last couple of months 
there are a lot of black hat schools that are not nonprofits. They are for-profit, um, you know, uh, uh, businesses run by one person. Right. Um, and, you know, knowing what I know about our community, knowing about, what I know about running a nonprofit where you have accountability, transparency, a board, um, this is how you keep a place safe. And I believe that the reason things are set up as a for-profit, you know, privately owned entity is just because it's how it's always been done since the shuttle and life continues. And what we realize is that in, until we get a basic foundation of accountability and transparency, kids can be in danger because we have stories at Malcolm where there are creepy principals that never quite broke the law but did some really awful things to children, and nobody could stop them because they ran the school. So we're building a kit right now to help for-profit schools become nonprofits with accountability and transparency. And so before we get to all the other changes in schools that we want to make to make them the healthiest environment for children, the first thing we want to create is a toolkit for transition so the basic foundation has accountability and transparency. Then the goal will be to spread that to any school um, that doesn't have that sort of setup. We're getting tremendous response from leadership and people within these organizations that deal with schools and deal with, you know, this community. And we're not doing this all on our own, but we are sort of being that nag, that nudge to say, like, we got to do this, we got to build this, we got to execute this. And I think that's the missing link. A lot of people want to do what's right, but they don't have the bandwidth to actually dream up the plan and execute it. And we are being the middlemen to make the thing between the dream and the execution happen. And so when you become a change maker, um, you can help these dreams become reality. Someone else might joke, uh, have someone else start your car, frankly. Be careful out there because I, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with the category that you're referring to when it comes to the schools, and it is a very, very arduous and uh, sensitive pursuit that you're undertaking. I hear that, um, and what I will tell you is that, um, A, I think part of what motivates me is that uh, I don't exactly know what I'm getting into, so I'm <laughs> stupid enough to jump in, which, by the way, if I understood what Malcolm was going to be about, I would have been far too scared <laughs> to actually do such a thing. I only discovered sort of the heaviness of all these issues after we were too far gone to turn back, and so I'm doing this. It's very much sort of like, you know, a NASA Vinishma type of idea. I'm not really an expert in any of these areas. I always had a knack for explaining orthodoxy in a positive way. That is something that, you know, I could do naturally. These other areas have really been more like if we're the Kiddush Hashem brand and we tell the world how great it is to be from, how can we not fix these problems? That's right. really the way that I've approached Rabbanim and leadership when I've gone some of these different issues. I don't want to be a liar. I've told the world how great it is to be from and what great people we are. And if this, this, and this is going on, then I'm not telling the truth, and I, I can't bear to do that. And so that's actually been a really motivating factor, and so we will keep doing that. We will keep davening, but it's really the support of, you know, the people out there that are, are inspired by these projects. That's how we'll, we'll grow, because we will need, you know, a serious amount of revenue to really make these things happen. And, and, you've, uh, and you've had the best of the other world. It's not like you're... Yes, you're, and I... You, you're, correct. I... I and here's the thing, because I had secure attachment growing up, I never actually wanted to, like, throw away my past life. I brought my whole family with me, everybody's right. from today. I, I cook fake tray food every night for dinner <laughs> because I love my childhood recipes. And I would say even on the Kiruv side, to be honest, I think we have to consider this um, in the world of Kiruv. Are our people that were being Makariv, are they throwing away their past identities? That's unhealthy. Right. Or are they incorporating them in? Are they coming to us in a healthy position? If we're right. bringing more people with lack of secure attachment into the community, we're only bringing the next generation of Mako members in, essentially, because their children, their children come to us. You must love the Beyond Burger, because you can make it into a cheeseburger and everything. 
I like the Impossible Burger better, but I will eat both, and I really do love them. And I saw somewhere that they may be able to make pig kosher, and it's maybe a sign that Mashiach is coming, and I would agree. Um, <laughs> I hear that. Uh, there are a couple of things that um, <laughs> that I've got to uh, close with here. Um, I'll circle back in a minute to, to my unorthodox life, because I think there is one point I want to make that I'm curious about your reaction but you did write an article, and we've talked about this before because you always talk about the uh, the modesty issue and how the um, uh, the choice for you know how modest a, a woman wants to dress, whether it be in Hollywood, sports, etc. You you address the Olympics. What horrified me about that uh, article, frankly, was I didn't realize that all these immodest outfits, these immodest uniforms are regulated, that there's an actual, Olympics, yeah. Uh, yeah, Olymp- yeah, an Olympic committee that requires a woman who's part of a specific, I, I frankly thought the reason they're dressed that way is because, you know, swimming-wise, sports-wise, volleyball-wise, track-wise, they felt this is the best result, you know, the best thing to, to, to wear or not wear in order to have the best time, the best chance to win, etc. But this is regular. They won't let you on the field if you, you don't dress a certain way. That's what outraged right. me about the whole thing. Right. So so um, when I wrote the article originally, it did not have the rule book rules about uh, leotards and handball uniforms, but the, uh, the editor, um, it was published in the Washington Post and Religion News Service. Um, she said, let's add the exact rules in. Yeah, so on one hand, in sports themselves, a lot of these rules are, are dictated. But I will say that I think we should not discount the messaging that comes from marketing and comes from seeing basically every attractive woman in the world as you're growing up in secular society. I got messages very early on as a secular woman, you know, that who was slim, that it was sort of my responsibility to show my body off. That they were somehow I owed that to the world as a sign of being young and fit, that I should show my body off to the world. And if you look at how your average boy or man is dressed, they're essentially covering upper arm, upper leg, and everything in between. Really all the halachic points of what a woman is supposed to cover. Right. And I think um, with our term, the skin gap, in this op-ed that I wrote about the skin gap, that it's at the Olympics, and it's being recognized at the Olympics, but it's actually everywhere else, too. Even if it's not technically on the rule books. When we go to the store and we see certain options with less fabric for women and we open up a magazine or we see, you know, any type of media, walk down the street, it's weird for a woman to wear more clothes. Even today, I will tell you, if I look at, like, a from wedding and I see how I dress in our community, the women wearing just as much clothing as the men, it still looks a little bit weird to me because what my eye is trained to for the rest of society is that women's bodies are exposed at a formal affair. Right. You know, And so until we can start to change the expectation in what girls and women um, feel like they're supposed to wear and show off, the skin gap, which is this imbalance of expectations, which makes girls and women feel like their bodies are on display, it will persist. And what I believe it leads to is a feeling of body dissatisfaction because if your body's on display, You have to constantly be worried about how does it look, how does it look compared to yesterday, what is it turning into tomorrow, and if a woman's sort of greatest thing they contribute is their body, then essentially there's an expiration date on a woman's usefulness. And the skin gap closes if a woman exceeds a certain number in age or pounds. Yeah, understood. Uh, You know, look, um, my wife and I have raised two daughters, and... uh, well, this is somewhat related to what you're saying, but one of the frustrating things to me is that um, uh, the the more how do I put this? 
Uh, the more um, one explores the Jewish community, the more one realizes that these are the only female role models for our daughters. These are the only yep. females that are featured in uh, in print ads, in photography, yep. in videos, etc. And I, and I wonder if you have a a, a a public opinion on this, that that's one of the reasons why I have always felt that Orthodox publications should go out of their way to print pictures of, of women in our community dressed properly who are real role models for our daughters. 100%. 100%. We need to see healthy examples of, you know, the possibilities that are out there and not have just one small idea of what we must conform to. <laughs> my, my wife said to me that she was reading an article on Shabbos about a Rebbitzin, and the picture in the article was her husband. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. Finally, circling way back to our original topic, and I apologize for all the time, and after Sukkot, you must come in here for a full face-to-face conversation where we will discuss uh, both kosher cheeseburgers and non-kosher cheeseburgers, because, of course, one of the things I always <laughs> ask you is why on earth would someone from your background uh, want to become Orthodox? And I and I, I believe you, me, I'll be asking you that for the next 20 years, hopefully, like I have <laughs> for the last 15, 20 years. Uh, the last thing is I... I feel bad for people like you when it comes to the situation of the series My Unorthodox Life, and I'll tell you why. Your your best argument is the one people take least seriously. Because I honestly do believe, I think you had three arguments in the TMZ piece, so all presented really well, of course, not criticizing that. But I think the best one, logically and from people in our uh, community, is the one that it's completely out of context, is the one that you, you have no clue and I, by the way, I'm talking about the subjects in the document, in the series, and the people, uh, you know, watching. You have no clue what our community is really like. You cannot even understand how the restrictions of our community, uh, um, uh, teamed up with the positive aspects of our community, create such a wonderful atmosphere. You know, in most cases. And I think the out of context argument is never taken seriously for a variety of reasons. I think the media, you know, poo poos it in every which way shape and form, especially when it comes to accusations against people. They never, ever uh, consider when someone says you need context that, you know, you do need context. And can, well, cancel culture is a perfect example of that, right? Yeah, you, you don't need context. Um, and and I, I think your most potent argument, unfortunately, is the one they take least seriously. What do you think? I mean, I think um, I think people that support the show will find every reason to support it, and people that are against the show will, uh, you know, find different reasons to be against it. And it seems like there's actually a lot of people that like the show. Um, my friend, Mind Bialik, just posted my TMZ article, and I've been hearing people say, oh, no one's taking the show so seriously, no one's watching it. That's not true. A lot of her fans, and she is very pro-Jewish on her platform. A lot of her fans were like, this show is amazing. It's about an empowered woman. So um, I have relatives <laughs> who've watched it multiple times. Of course wow. people are obsessed with it. And I can't blame them. If they enjoy it, they enjoy the content, even if it's all fiction. It, it could all, I, I think, the, I think the most important thing, really, is that um, restrictions have to be choice-based restrictions. So, yes, there's so much positivity and beauty and meaning. But when we restrict ourselves, we have to be the ones, you know, dressing modestly. We need to be the ones sending ourselves to minion. We need to be the ones fasting. If we, if any Jew is living under duress where they don't feel free to be able to choose to do or not do, that becomes an abusive situation. Those are the types of cases that we see. And so as long as we are freely choosing, you know, a person can choose to uh, run a marathon and do what it takes to uh, regiment themselves to be able to have such an achievement. 
A person can decide that they're not eating healthfully and decide to make different choices in what they eat. We understand that we can have a goal that we think is better for ourselves and it will require us to restrain ourselves in some way to have that goal. And somehow that same um, idea is not understood that if we have a spiritual goal, we may uh, restrain ourselves and restrict ourselves in order to achieve a greater good by the end of it, um, which is very sad. And But of course, it has to come from choice. Yeah, understood. Well said. Easier to fundraise for a building than for a project, right? <laughs> it is. It is. But you know what? Um, what I will tell you um, is that every time Netflix puts out another one of these shows, I feel like more and more it's galvanizing uh, the community. And we've been doing this at Jew in the City since 2007. This is not some new campaign that's right. come out in light of this show. Right. This has been the drum that we've beating. We've been dealing with, you know, the ex-Haredi crisis for years now already. Um, and so I think if people are seeing more and more that this, these are issues that are bothering them. They were filming three other um, ex-Orthodox shows after Unorthodox. One of them, uh, fourth one, is My Unorthodox Life. There are at least three more coming out that we know about, right. plus a young adult novel that is coming out as a movie. There is money in the genre. This is not stopping anytime soon, but we are going to do our best to fight it, and we hope that you know, listeners will help us. A hundred percent. I hope so as well. Go to Jew in the City. Uh, go to the Jew in the City website, everybody, and uh, donate and uh, support the great work of uh, Jew in the City, including uh, Makom, Keter, Tiku, and all these different facets that uh, that Jew in the City is um, is um, helping to uh, helping to um, uh, promote and fix and whatever does need promotion and fixing in our community. Um, Allison, I take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. Continued good luck. And I hope that, uh, uh once the holidays uh, come to their conclusion, we'll be able to get together and, uh, and do this in person. I think the, uh, audience is very appreciative of the work that you do. Thank you so much. And same to you and yours. Thanks so much. Allison Joseph's Jew in the City Speaks is our program every single Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern time here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Jew in the City, as you heard Allison say, in existence since 2007 doing amazing work, including all this uh, uh, work that she did in the, in the aftermath of uh, My Unorthodox Life, the Netflix series. And as you heard, a lot of other things going on. A lot of other things going on. And <laughs> she has spent a lot of time trying to understand the psychology uh, behind what so many are going through in our community. Kolaka vote. Tuesday morning broadcast. Plenty more coming up on JM in the AM. David Hashem, Lo 
J.M. in the A.M. That is um, Echad Keneged, done by Yerachmiel, begun in the Miami Boys Choir. 
Uh, what was before that? Srolli uh, Tversky with Yassis, Yerdaye Kunstler's Lishuascha, Yaakov Shweki, David Hashem Ori, here at JM in the AM. Uh, don't forget our uh, Elul Chesed campaign has begun. We'll talk more about it tomorrow, by the way. Our Elul Chesed campaign has begun. Those of you who want to take our recommendation about feeding the poor of uh, Jerusalem and Israel, you can go to terror-victims.org.il, terror-victims.org.il. Um, those of you who want to learn more about the plight of single parents and their children, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, kupathezra.org, kupathezra.org for their live stream. Um, Rabbi Dr. Moshe Sokol is um, being featured at the Young Israel of Woodmere tonight at 8.15 with his brand new book in conversation with Rabbi Shai Schechter. That starts at 8.15. He's, of course, the dean of, um, of Aturo College. So that's happening tonight. Uh, shout out to um, Seth Levitt, CEO of Abel's and Hyman. A great Q&A on Instagram yesterday, which, by the way, as uh, Seth pointed out to me a few minutes ago, it's still available on uh, his story, Abel's and Hyman's story, on Instagram. So you can check it out if you want the unbelievable <laughs> tour. I mean, it, it is unbelievable that you could do this tour through Instagram of the... Um, A&H facility and the A&H process of making hot dogs. whole thing is pretty cool. Check it out. Information about their products, kosherdogs.net. Always use promo code radio. Kosherdogs.net. Always use promo code radio. Um, what else do I want to mention? Trying to think if that was it in terms of... Our campaign. I think I covered every base for today. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSingle.com and the Single Network. And of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Tuesday here at JM in the AM. I've Rummy with a live lunch coming up at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. JM Rewind is coming up next. Keep it here all day long for great music and wonderful programming. And have a fabulous Tuesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.